when I think about challenger brand, challenger mindset, for me, it's really about looking at what the rest of the industry industry of doing and trying to do it distinctively uh, in a way that benefits the customers. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey everyone, my guest today is Mai Fenton, Chief Marketing Officer of Superscript. Here in the UK, Superscript, originally known as Digital Risks, launched in 2015 with a, quote, simple ambition to make insurance better for digital businesses. As they grew beyond digital-only businesses, and this is what you'll hear my talk about as the main focus of our conversation today, they needed a rebrand. So my joined as their first CMO, in 2019 and in 2020 rolled out a rebrand going from digital risks to superscript so we talk a lot about the approach to the rebrands and i like how much she ties it back to commercial results and how the rebrand actually grew the business in the way that they hoped that it would so it kind of wasn't just you know the high level brand comms, visual identity stuff. Of course, we talk about that, but we tie that to real business results, or she does. Of course, has nothing to do with it, but I like how she talks about that. We also talk about her perspective on being a challenger brand. So every brand can be a challenger. That's what we believe, at least. But Superscript is very much the definition of a challenger taking on some of these big established incumbent insurance companies in that space. And she talks about how they've approached that as well. And then we talk a bit about her experience. She's worked in big organizations and also in startups and has had commercial experience as well as marketing experience. And we talk about why that matters and hopefully people can find um, you know, something helpful in that for their own careers too. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my Fenton CMO of Superscript. Hey, Mai, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Eric. I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this conversation. I have been, and Rival has been a Superscript customer, well, I guess not for all that long now, but we are on board. And so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about uh, the work you're doing behind the scenes to build the brand and build the business. Great, great to hear. Thanks for having me, Eric. Of course. So, um, Maya, let's start with you. Can you give our audience a little bit of context on your background, how you ended up at Superscript, and then particularly for people who aren't in the UK, just kind of a general overview of what Superscript is. That'd be great. Sure, sure. Right. So, well, I'm a, I'm a French-born Vietnamese uh, who moved to the UK after I graduated from a French business school. It's quite a long time ago. Uh, I've been in marketing for 20 years, but I've worked across quite a spectrum of industries. Um, I'll start in consumer packaged goods and I moved into lifestyle, retail, e-commerce, marketplace, work for small seed, uh, not pre-seed uh, startups all through to, to big corporates. So quite, quite a varied experience. Um, and I joined Superscript to just you know, two and a half years ago as their first CMO. Uh, so, so who are Superscript? Like you said, for non-UK uh, listeners, we we are um, uh, an insurance challenger brand, um, an insurtech scale-up that provides customizable and flexible bespoke insurance specifically for small businesses. So that's from micro businesses to tech startup and high-growth businesses too. 
Amazing. And before we get into talking more about Superscript and the whole rebrand that you oversaw, I'd love to just double click on your experience and background for a second, because you're in a scale up now and you have some startup experience, but you also worked at some big businesses, Kimberly Clark, uh, TK Maxx. So uh, I'm just curious for people listening who are maybe still building their careers in marketing, is that advice, or would you give people that advice of you know experiencing both big brand and startup? And I guess especially for people who are maybe more interested in the startup, do you still think it's worth it to get that big brand experience? How has that been for you? Um, for me, it's been very beneficial. And I, I don't think I would have joined Superscript if it wasn't for the fact I had such a broad range of experience across industries, but also company sizes. Um, it's worked for me. I gained tons of experience working for large corporates on the good stuff, the stuff maybe not to do. <laughs> um, but and I, and I guess, especially earlier in my career, when I was working in consumer packaged goods, I think marketing is really the king, right, in that industry. So you own the strategy, new product development, you know, you own uh, P&L, uh, you work, it's such a central role that works across customer marketing, research and development, uh, sales and so on, that I, I learned so much in those years, perhaps not working on products that I had a personal affinity with, but I think in terms of training, it's been hugely beneficial for me. And then I transferred a lot of these um, skills into different sectors. So retail and e-commerce is again, widely different. It's, it's, part, you know, it's more direct to customer. It's more about high frequency of engagement. Uh, and then I moved to, to, to seed, uh, pre-seed startups. And I think for me, I've learned so many different skills and so much different experience that that's helped me be what um, Superscript, the Superscript founders needed to, to, to head up marketing at Superscript. Because uh, you know, in my role at CMO, I sit at a senior table um, and my remit is more than just marketing Superscript but uh, it's contributing to strategic discussion, to the, uh, the direction for the business. And I think without, without all that I've gathered through my different uh, roles in different uh, sectors and settings, uh, I probably wouldn't be able to, to add so much value as, as I think I am now, for sure. Um, and I think from my perspective, I have things in the right way. I think if you have to do corporate and startups, it's probably a good thing to start with a big corporate. Um, and I learned what I loved about it and what I didn't like so much about it. I think, you know, obviously working with big companies, it's inevitably is hierarchical, decision making is slower than it could be at a startup. And I didn't love that side of things. I'm quite a hands-on person. So moving to a smaller startup scale of size has been great because you, you get involved in the strategy, but also you get stuck in, right? And I like, still like to, to, to craft, to produce and to deliver as well. So I guess it depends on the kind of what makes you tick, but uh, certainly my, my personal experience has been amazing and I would recommend it to, to people yeah. who um, who are considering it, give it, give it a go. It's interesting in a way. I mean, I am not a big corporate guy and the only stint I had working at kind of a corporate organization was Forbes back in the day. It was actually Forbes.com when it was a separate thing from Forbes the magazine but I, I think about that in my career. Like I do wonder, and obviously I've worked with many very big organizations on the agency side or on the consulting side, but I do think it would have been helpful for me to have kind of big company brand side experience. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of thinking about like how you do things differently if you had to do them all over again. I think it's about moving forward, but that is something I've thought about. And you know, if you replayed my career in a few different ways, 
maybe that is something that would have been helpful for me to go get. So I just always like, you know, especially when people have varied backgrounds, really touching on that, because I think that for people who are still coming up thinking intentionally about how they build their experience towards the career end goal they want to get to is really important and isn't often talked or thought about um, enough. So let's talk about Superscript. So the focus of the conversation today is going to be on the rebrand that you undertook. So Superscript was not Superscript when you got there, or at least it wasn't called Superscript. So the question I always like to ask when we're talking about a specific campaign is what's the business problem you were looking to solve? So can you talk to us about where things were when you got there and what was the business problem that you were looking to solve with this rebrand campaign? Sure. So yeah, this, this is the story of Digital Risks, uh, who reinvented itself as Superscript in summer 2020. And I think I need to give a bit of context to, to, to explain what that problem was really. So Digital Risk was originally founded to provide innovative, customizable protection for a then niche but fast-growing segment of SMEs, the early stage, high-growth high digital and technology businesses, hence the name Digital Risks. But uh, as the business grew, we quickly realized that our customizable digital insurance solution and monthly subscription model was relevant to other types of businesses, digital or not, right? So from a construction business to shop owners or beauticians, um, agencies like yours, you know, these business types also wanted a digital experience that is personalized and flexible. So, so what we, we started to expand our underwriting footprints and to deliver this world-class experience to more customers, regardless of business size, activity, and complexity. Um, and, you know, we realized that we could serve customers are no longer just digital businesses, but all kinds of small businesses. So, the problem was very simple, the name Digital Risks without growing it, right? We could no longer, it no longer represented the brand, why we exist and what we do. Um, and I think, you know, a, a rename has to have like a solid reason like this. I mean, it's not about, you know, new CMO wanted to make their mark. Actually, there was a fundamental problem. If we wanted to uh, get that greater share of the SME market, save, um, so serve more SMEs, you know, we had it. We had it to rename into a brand that is more relevant, that that they could have a personal affinity with. Because, you know, we knew from anecdotal feedback that you know, digital risk says cybersecurity, digital business. You know, we had customers not sure that we could serve them because they were like a nail technician or uh, you know, fitness instructor. So it was very important for us because our proposition was so it's so universal, really, uh, and there's no way we could unlock that growth. By keeping the name digital risks and yeah, it was it was quite a hard decision to make right when you think about it for for our founders especially but at the same time when we considered the growth opportunity it was it was inevitable <laughs> yeah so the, so the business problem was really getting to that next level of growth feeling like you had outgrown the mold of where the brand kept you and i i totally agree i think well, first of all, I think a lot of marketing is done for marketers as opposed to commercial results or growth of a business, whatever that might mean. And it's not just about profit in today's day and age. It's about purposeful, sustainable growth. It's very multifaceted. Um, but when it comes to rebrand conversations, I think of it as, I think a lot of it is kind of moving the furniture around. You know, new CMO comes in, wants to put their mark on something, wants to have a project uh, you know, to extend their tenure. I think a lot of that actually does happen, but clearly with where you were and a brand that was very literal 
you know, is, is what it says maybe was a vessel or a platform that wasn't big enough to provide the foundation for the growth that you wanted to see. Um, so talk us through maybe the next level down or the next stage. So that's what you came into. And I'm assuming and knowing Cameron, your founder and CEO a little bit, he comes from a marketing background. He's not just a technology and product and insurance sector guy. So was that part of the conversation with you coming on board for CMO of, hey, we need to rebrand, we need a bigger platform for how we want to grow the business? And then what were the steps you took after you decided to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that wasn't in my remit from the start. I mean, I, I wasn't brought in with, with, with this in mind. Um, but obviously, you know, when I started, we were already starting to see quite some growth beyond digital businesses. So we're having loads of strategic discussions with with Cam and Ben, our two uh, co-founders, about you know, where we could be, you know, where's the future, like how big could it get? Um, and, 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 so, and what share of that do we want to take? You know, what's our ambition? So a lot of strategic discussion uh, leading on to actually do we need a new name to get there? Um, can we grow under digital risks? Can we grow under a brand architecture that preserves digital risk name? Um, what are the options? You know, do we we had build some equity into digital risks for this very niche uh, segment of the market. You know, what are the risks of losing it? But what can we gain? So it was it was really interesting. You know, it's, it's, the choices were: do we try to build around digital risks one way or another through some kind of brand architecture, or do we build a new brand from scratch? And uh, we looked at uh, customer feedback. We look at weighed the pros and cons. You know, there's considerations like, you know, if you've built a good um, domain authority, starting from scratch, isn't it, <laughs> with a new brand? So. And I think you know we we are a challenging brand. We ambitious. We we take risks. We in the business of risks in a way. And then we just, we concluded actually a rebrand is needed. You know the the opportunities are huge, um, and we recognise the limitations of of trying to grow under the digital risks name. Um, rebranding would open the doors to a larger addressable audience, uh, and uh, and so we we went. You know, with it, but it was it required a lot of open-mindedness, and I guess you know you mentioned you you know Cam, so you you'll, you'll know he's a very open-minded guy. You know he comes from a marketing background as well, so he understands that. Um, so the conversations moved on to okay, so how do we do it now? Okay, so we've made a decision. Do we do we try to do it in-house? Do we do we use freelancers? Do we use an agency? Um, and we we thought actually what I want to do is to do it very well. You know it's a big. It, it's going to be a big change. Um, and to do it really well, I wanted to make sure that we have the audience inside the research um, that we need to make sure that we build a strong platform from in terms of articulating you know, our purpose and our brand, etc. So we look to an agency that can cover off the breadth of research and insight all through to naming um, and uh, ID, um, ID development. That's for the rebrand part, but always with a view to building an in-house creative team to take this to the level of uh, creative execution for advertising and, and brand activation, etc. Um, we had just closed our Series A round of funding in February 2020, so it was it was great. You know, we had a bit of money. We closed eight million, so we we, we could afford to to do it with the help of an agency. Um, and yeah, we, we kicked off the project in March 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic as well, which was you know, very interesting, having all sorts of creative workshops and customer research and interviews all remotely. But actually, you know, if you really focus, if you've got the passion for it, you can do anything. You know, for us, it was the first you know, completely new thing to do, to do everything remotely. But the, the, the drive that we all had behind it was absolutely amazing. Um, you need the founders to be 
completely involved and engaged as well. And we, we, we had that, We're lucky to, to have that with, with Cam and Ben. Amazing. So let's take a look at, at what that looks like. Um, I wish we had some before and after. That would actually be fun. But I know we at least have the after for what Superscript looks like now. So some things that we'll put in the show notes. So there's a visual overview that you put together for an entry into the Drum B2B Awards for Best Rebrand. The first slide is the before, Eric. Oh, is there before in there? Yeah, yeah, if you look so at the first both. slide, it's Digital Risk, a very blue Perfect. brand. Perfect. Because, so, you know, so in do. terms of the brief, what we wanted to, to achieve with this uh, is first, we wanted the the new name and the brand to be to be customer-centric, right? So we we challenge a brand in that we are really customer-centric and it's not the case necessarily for either traditional insurance. Um, we wanted that we brand to embody our goal to set higher standards for business insurance. That's where we're here to disrupt the market for. And also we wanted to humanize uh, our brand, uh, especially because we're a B2B brand, you know, so we... Uh, that, that rebrand was about um, being more human to human, uh, not just about uh, you know, a business to, to business as such. So, which probably was more digital risks. Uh. Yeah. So let's. Um, what I'd love to do, and we can do this together, and let people follow along with us. I'm just going to change my speaker output for a second. Um, so we got the visual overview that we'll include in the show notes. But then I thought we could play one of the audio ads that you made and talk about your take on how, like kind of behind the scenes as you were producing this, how you guided this rebrand into the actual creative output that, you know, came in contact with customers that actually yeah. went to market. So Can I, Eric, do you mind if I first give a bit of an overview of the brand because it will set the context sure. for the audio ads? So the digital risk used to be really blue, <laughs> a really blue brand. Um, so when we re, when we rebranded from digital risk, the, the first thing was the name, obviously, Superscript, borrowed from typesetting. And here we suggest a higher standard, so how we move insurance above uh, and beyond the norm and elevate our customers to new heights. And because we, uh, you know, we really want to do this with a challenger mindset, um, and and so you know what was very important, and actually we transpired through all of our marketing and advertising, is the guiding principles that we established to deliver that, which are unafraid, unstoppable, unexpected, and unassuming. And they all start with "un" because they're about challenging current behaviors. But what they do is they embody an attitude. You know, we can call them values or virtues, but they are behaviors we are showing. They're, they're an attitude. And what they do is they, they inspire inspire everything we do, action, execution. So when when you play, you know, when you play these ads, you will see how different they sound. Uh, but in terms of our identity, what we wanted to do is also, is also to, the visual identity, I mean, is to stand out from the industry norm. So from the outset, we decided to do the opposite of what the industry does. Um, so what that means is actually when we started off, we looked at what the competitors are doing with the general landscape of insurance. We cataloged all the cliches and, you know, we knew that would inform what we wouldn't be doing. So things like primary color being a vivid mint green, you know, blues are dominant. You think of either AXA, Marsh, Gallagher, or reds, Derek Line and Hiscox. No. <laughs> so we went for a completely different color on the on the spectrum, the, the bright, energetic, and optimistic green. Um, and we, you know, we have a developed a stylized word mark, but also the asterisk brand symbol, which I'm sure you've come across because we feature it a lot. It's a bit of visual shortcut to superscript. I mean, that is, you know, that was brave because the asterisk in insurance is really about denoting the, the small print, right? And insurance has got a bit of a, you know, necessarily some 
not a good name. It's the asterisk. It's, it's, it's what you're trying to hide in the, in, in the footnote. But for us, it was very different. It's, um, uh, it's actually, you know, for us, the devil is in the detail, but actually we make it very transparent and important. So we bring the asterisk, we bring the asterisk to the fore. It's big. It's large. It's above the line. And, the line, and we've, we've turned things on, on this head that way. So, so yeah, the, let's move on to the, to the radio and ads maybe, and then I can build on that in terms of how that translates into audio. And so these were radio ads. That's where, they, that's where these were distributed. Uh, radio and also podcast advertising. Whether you're starting your business or starting to get noticed, spotting typos or spotting trends, making a difference or making a deadline, moving on up or moving online, sealing a deal or sealing a leak, reading the room or your first five-star review. At Superscript, we know that business never stops. So go all in with Superscript and leave the details to us. Monthly business insurance shaped around you. Yeah. So this was from our first launch campaign. Right? And it's, um, it's part of a campaign that we internally called uh, Moments of Harmony. That's really picking on the special moments in the life of a small business owner that means so much to them. And you know, it's, 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 it's really about showing how we actually care and understand uh, how these the small moments actually extraordinary for for a small business owner uh, with a tone of voice that is uh, hopefully you'd agree you know, really really fresh and sounds very different i think you know for for us um, a brand is not just an identity and a visual and a, some nice photography but it also translates into a tone of voice that has to be you know on brand you know if you're talking about being uh, unexpected and unafraid we took an approach that is uh, that is just just that really um so through the audio ad you can you can really see how uh you know we we are relating to the customer you know we understand these small moments they're important you know, we we elevate you as a customer in your day-to-day -day life uh, and it leads on to you know how superscript actually is also a more adequate uh insurance brand for you because we understand the uniqueness of your of your small uh, small business, but I think language is also something that we've we've taken a completely different um, approach to. Also in uh, print ads, whether they're out of home or, or press ads as well, because you, I think you mentioned you've been exposed to some of our of our billboards, and you can see how we use big headlines that are kind of again you know really relatable for um, for, for for the customer, not too wordy. Uh, a bit casual, but with the right level of seriousness. Again, so we spend quite a lot of time making sure that the tone you know, is relatable, but is right as well for you. And it's a very different approach, I think, to, uh, to a lot of in insurance uh, insurance brands. I think we could probably play cake, if you like now, a recipe from our most recent um, radio campaigns. Many eggs, bunch of flour, thing of milk, five butter, lots of sugar, some baking powder, a bit of zest, then cherries, jam, cream, splash here, dash there, whip it, oven it, ta-da! Not a cake. Amounts matter, like how much, how long and when. Getting business right means getting just the right amount of everything, including insurance. Superscript, monthly business insurance shaped around you. Yeah, so this campaign is uh, is part of our uh, 2021 campaigns that we called uh, Amounts Matter. And it's really about taking a more 
experimental entertaining approach to uh, to bringing to life the customization uh, uniqueness of, of our product. And again, it's about, you know, for me, above the line advertising, whether it's out of home and radio, it's in the business of trying to capture people's attention. Right? It's really, really hard to break through when you're a small brand, when there's so much going around. So I always take the view that when if you're going to do billboards or radio ad, um, it's you know, it, it, it's a it's about that. It's about cutting through the noise and grabbing the attention first, creating some intrigue to get people to listen uh, through to the ad, and then conclude with your with your, your your proposition. I think you know if we started the ad with "Hey, we're Superscript Business Insurance," I can guarantee you most people will will turn off and move to another channel. But again, I think we um, that, that was very successful on many levels, the, the, both campaigns. But what's been really nice is the anecdotal feedback we had about uh, these ads, the print ads or the radio ads from, from customers that came through our customer success lines or even, you know, in our Trustpilot reviews, et cetera. Uh, we had people Googling as well for some of these, which was really interesting, Superscript Plus, um, uh, some of the keywords that came through our, our radio ads and our print ads. And again, it's because it's, you know, we're zagging when others are zigging, just to borrow one of your, <laughs> uh, your favorite phrase, I'm sure. So, um, this is yeah. This is this is for me why the campaign above the line has been so successful. And obviously, you know, we are talking about radio, we're talking about of home, but these are only the sort of top of the funnel channels. The whole media mix included uh, lots of uh, digital display, programmatic display, advertising, paid social uh, advertising as well. We did we did podcast podcast sponsorships as well. Um, partnerships with Korea Magazine for Entrepreneurs. So there was a lot that was happening more towards the lower level of the funnel, obviously with different uh, messaging. The, the lower down the funnel we'd go, the, the more sort of functional and emphasizing the USPs would be. Uh, but again, the channel worked really, really well together. It's interesting because when we when we measured the impact of our brand campaign through a brand tracker, like every single channel had such dominance, it wasn't one or another that was remembered. You know, but the combination of them all drives some very strong uh, brand recall. So I did want to ask you, to the extent you can share about your media planning and channel mix, because like I mentioned before, we hit record. Anecdotally, for me here in North London, I see superscript ads. Um, out of home, I'm trying to think specifically where, well, I guess you would know. Um, I think that, you know, bus stops or something like that. I've seen those. I haven't seen as much digital. So how do you think about, because, and I do want to talk more about kind of the challenger mindset, challenger brand, because I think that applies to not just the brand you build, but also how you go to market and where you make your investments. And obviously the very generalized, typical challenger type of approach I would argue is more investing in the digital because budgets are smaller, it's more targetable, more controllable, et cetera. So at a certain point, you a lot of brands do need to go above the line just to reach the scale that they're looking for. But how have you thought about your media mix and channel planning when it comes to embodying that challenger to the traditional players in the space? Yes, the, the, the out of home is more of a... An, an add-on, if you like. So we've always, uh, our channel mix has always been highly digital uh, as, as a challenger brand. But what that means, it was perhaps more focused on the, the lower, kind of the lower parts of the of, of the funnel. And when we um, when we secured that series A round of funding, it was our chance to actually go onto the public media to 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 gain that that trust that is very hard to gain when you are a startup in financial services, isn't it? So. I guess it was 
it's not really changed what we do uh, in terms of our digital marketing, but it's allow us to to, uh, to to drive that. I want to say mass, but mass, but you know, uh, mass awareness uh, at um, uh, above the line through 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 out of home and radio advertising, which we you know we couldn't afford before at all, and. Um, for out of home, we focused on London mainly, which is probably why you've seen a lot of it. Because my view was that rather than trying to spread our our budget nationally um, and, and in a scattered way, it was best to go big in in London and Greater London. Uh, but with radio, we're able to go more more national. Uh, we advertise on uh, LBC and Heart. But again, you know, I, I would love for this to be more of an ongoing activity. Uh, this will probably happen after our next round of funding, but for now we picked the key, what we felt were key seasons for us to dominate. So September, October this year, um, uh, and then we we also run earlier this year in in May, in May and June. But uh, you know, like I said before, if you look at uh, the impact of out of home, it's also you know we continue with uh, the, the digital advertising, but actually out of home and radio have such a positive impact on our digital advertising performance. So we've seen click-through rates improve, but quite dramatically in and uh, after out-of-home campaigns, you're talking like five percentage points, like really, really uh, big improvements, you know, higher direct and organic search sessions. There's some, you know, some some really wonderful impact is had also on digital marketing. So it's as much as it's kind of upper funnel, I think the benefits, the benefits throughout, uh, throughout the funnel are you know, re- really significant. Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of the, um, you know, the, a lot of the conversations that so many of us have as marketers, whether you're on the consulting side or whether you're on the brand side is what's the ROI of what you're doing. And I, you know, I've been trying to push people to think a little bit more broadly about that because really the job of marketing is not necessarily short-term return, depending on the business, it should be contributing to that. But the reason that you have marketing is to drive long-term growth of the business, which is not captured in an ROI model, especially if it's a, this campaign or the next 30 days, if it's short-term. So I think there is a way to expand on that, but beyond the kind of high-level case of it's about long-term cash flow, it's about long-term growth, there is the very real impact that it can have on short-term metrics just by, I think of it as greasing the wheels of the commercial machine. The more brand awareness, affinity, consideration, whatever KPI you want to focus on in terms of how it's shifting people's perception, that then does change the behavior once they're in funnel. Um, So that does make sense. And when you think about it, Eric, if you think about the the problem we're solving, right, and why we decided to rename and to rebrand, and uh, you know, we, we did that to capture a bigger share of the market to serve more more trades, really. Well, the, the first the first way to verify that is to look at actually how has our uh, customer mix change in terms of the the different industries that we've we've managed to serve, and it's been it's been phenomenal, right? So obviously. Our growth since August 2020 has been absolutely phenomenal, especially considering we went through uh, through a pandemic. But if I look at the industry mix, we achieved that. So we we used to to be highly reliant rely on tech and media and professional services based on our very initial proposition of digital risks. Uh, but now the, the the mix has really uh, grown, uh, and you could see 
that that non-digital business has such a big part now of our, of our business or so health, beauty, well-being, trade, builders, hospitality, etc. So so that's that's fueled our growth. We continue to grow in tech and media, but actually that that's accelerated our growth because we're able to capture these non-digital businesses. So impact on trade mix, growth, revenue, gross and premium as well. So, so so the commercial KPIs, which is what matters the most really for business like ours, uh, you know, that of, of, of net customer growth and revenue, you know, where were met and really exceeded my, my expectations. And then obviously you've got the softer metrics of, you know, we talked about website traffic, we talked about uh, click-through rates on digital ads, um, improving the economics, obviously very important. Um, we, we run a brand tracker, which again, very soft metrics, you know, but things like uh, prompted awareness, purchase intent, brand association, et cetera, you know, all, all very positive and going the right direction. I think it's, you know, obviously having done at this point, I don't know, a dozen of these interviews, had the FinTech marketing podcast and my day-to-day -day for the last decade. It's been working with senior marketers, but it's, I think you can always tell the people that have had some type of commercial experience. And I mean, this as a compliment because I think it is so important. The role of marketing is to drive growth of a business. And so having that commercial skill set and experience of managing a PL or working in sales or just being grounded in what marketing is doing to drive the results, it always comes out. Um, and I know you had some of that background and it definitely is clear talking to you. You know, it's not the rebrand for the sake of rebranding. It's actually with the hypothesis of how this is going to drive growth in the way that you want it and then tracking to the results of how it's done that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of the things I think is really important for people again, coming up is thinking about how they can get that kind of commercial experience in some way, shape or form, because I think it makes you a better marketer. Absolutely. And I really I want to quickly go back to what you said, which is so absolutely right about, you know, just focusing on, um, digital or PPC or paid social is, is a good way to drive short-term results. Um, it's difficult to scale rapidly as well, isn't it? Um, and so you have to, to think about the long-term impact of your, on, on, on the, on growth that brand building can help you achieve. Um, and, and for us, certainly we believe that building a strong superscript brand will help us accelerate our growth. It helps us, you know, having a strong brand and equity, it removes things like price sensitivity as well, because we're not in the business of being the cheapest at all. We want to be the best value for every small business. So the best coverage at the best price with the best experience. Um, so th th there's, there's kind of um, metrics like this that that matter as well so much for us for for the long term and as we you know we about to uh, to embark on our next round of funding I think it's it's been good to see that actually we already can demonstrate some of the positive returns from all this this brand this rebrand and the brand building activity we've run. So let's zoom back out for a second and talk about Challenger. So I think and we think at Rival every business can and should be a challenger, whether that's to somebody else, an incumbent in their industry, or to themselves. Because if you're not trying to put yourself out of business, then you leave an opportunity for somebody else to do that. Um, but for you, you know, Superscript is directly the, uh, you know, typical, the def definition of a challenger taking on some very big incumbents in the insurance space. So 
you've already touched a little bit on how you've embodied that. And you even mentioned challenger mindset, which is something that we think about a lot because it, how you act is a reflection of how you think. So it does need to start there. But what does challenger brand actually mean to you? If you zoom out for a second, think about your career, um, you know, what does that mean? And then maybe you could touch on a few more things about how you think about that with your team and how that has kind of driven the success of the marketing and the business um, to date. When I think about challenger brand, challenger mindset, for me, it's really about looking at what the rest of the industry industry of doing and trying to do it distinctively uh, in a way that benefits the customer. So I think I've always I've always got the the customer in mind. I think you know it's whatever we do is to benefit them ultimately. That's certainly our, our purpose at Superscript. So with insurance, I mean it's quite clear to see a lot of the issues that exist, you know, it's it's published broadly, you know, in white papers and uh, and so on, is the, the fact that this industry is highly inflexible, lacks transparency, it's complicated, you know, you can't, you, you're locked into 12-month contract, etc. So we look at that and it's clearly it's not customer-centric. So we, being a challenger, it's kind of, it's challenging yourself as well to flip things on their head and to take the opposite approach to what the rest of the industry landscape is doing. So if if everybody's going 12-month contract, you know what, we're going to offer monthly subscription. If it's so hard to be transparent through uh, a usual insurer, well, we're going to build a quote, uh, a product builder, a quote builder that shows you how your price changes depending on the options that you add and so on and so forth. You can talk to somebody on the phone if you're not entirely sure. You can get assistance along the way. Um, so that's that's really that's really our approach. And we really pride ourselves on offering a, a very good customer experience because it's often more often than not you, you don't you don't with in, in the world of insurance, right? It's so painful, it's so paper-driven, PDF-driven, etc. We you know we provide a digital experience that allows you to get more control of your insurance. So we for example, are you a customer? So you'll know, but we've got a customer account, which is quite unique in commercial insurance. It's it's probably there already in personal lines, but you can log in, you can view your policy documents, you can make some, you can edit your cover if, if, if your, your circumstances change from one month to another. And that's for me, it's embodying what, okay, if this is if this is a pain point that we know exists that no one else wants to touch, actually, you know, we will we will find a way. To, to do this, um, and that takes a lot of, of bravery. You know, if, I suppose if you think about monthly subscription, um, if if we were in the business to just make money, we'd probably stick to twelve month contract, right? You know, get somebody to sign up and stay with us for twelve months and charge them a penalty if they need to change their cover. Whilst we, we're in the business of working for you, our customer, and making it flexible for you. So it's. Um, yeah, I think it's well embodied through our, our, our guiding principles as well, you know, unafraid and unexpected. For me, it's 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 a big part of the challenger mindset. And we even breathe it every day in, in marketing and in, in, in the whole of the company. And in fact, the, the guiding principles were, were a big thing when we rebranded because you can imagine that even if our primary audience was this audience of small business insurance, uh, small business, small businesses, sorry, that 
the, the first people that we needed to buy into this rebrand were our people, uh, were our employees. So we spent a lot of effort in terms of internal communications and ke- keeping them in the loop of the progress with the project and, and sharing, etc. And getting them really excited about our purpose uh, and our values. We celebrate every day. We celebrate uh, anyone who shows uh, moments of being unafraid and expected, uh, unstoppable and assuming. We've got the Slack icons. We've got the awards. We've got you know everything. And that's... You know, I think that's so important, right? It has to be completely embedded, I think, in your culture. Um, and and this is how I think as a business, we can all move together to completely challenge what we, how we can we do this better, how we can better serve the customer, um, what others aren't doing that we should be doing. So it's a long answer to your question, Eric. So <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> yeah. And no, no, it's a great answer. I mean, it touches on a lot of the things that I believe in that, you know, we believe and try to embody and and do here at Rival. You don't need to be a startup to be a challenger. And actually, it's interesting hearing you explain kind of how you approached it, particularly the focus on purpose, getting buy-in internally, consistently reinforcing those values and that perspective on what you're trying to change in the world and why you're trying to change it. Uh, Linda Boff from GE, the CMO of GE, said a lot of the same things about their purpose campaign. So a lot of what I come back to and why we really believe in this, you don't need to be a startup to be a challenger thing, is it's just good marketing fundamentals at the end of the day because it's all about people. The reason that people change their perception or behavior or feel bought in to working at a company or a culture, it doesn't change that much. Like The dynamics of that don't change that much if you're at a startup or if you're a big company. How you need to communicate them to 100,000 people versus 100 people, that change, but it's all human principles and truths that underline all of this. And I think the successful internal and or external marketing campaigns, they all tie to that in a very similar way. So my, we are up on time. I really appreciate you joining us. Before we break though, I did want to touch on something else that I pulled from your LinkedIn. So you are a mentor in Brightside, um, and that is working to help, well, I'll let you explain it, but the line that I pulled from your bio that I really liked is that access to the best opportunities in life is often determined more by where a person grew up or what their parents do than where their talents are. And I'm very passionate about that. And we're trying to do our bit um, to, to change that at Rival um, and just try to take you know the bias and the inefficiencies and inequalities out of the industry as much as we can. So I just love to let you talk for a minute about Brightside, promote them. Maybe there's some people who want to get involved and just give us your perspective on on why you think that's important and why um, sure. why why you got involved. Sure. Well, Brightside is a is a is a wonderful charity uh, that supports uh, young people in education from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds, you know, especially you know, call spots in the UK. They're people who, young students who probably don't have much of a network uh, to help them or to talk to, to help them identify their options in terms of uh, education and, and future jobs. Um, I, f- I feel I've been very privileged, to, to, to be honest, I've, um, and I've benefited from mentors throughout my career, and I, I wanted to give, give back. Um, I actually started to be a mentor in March 2023 during the first lockdown because I had that bit of extra time on my hand, and I came across Brightside through one of my connections on LinkedIn, and I thought, oh, well, that's really great because I do a lot of mentoring myself in a not very structured way uh, where I offer my time uh, to young people, um, friends, uh, 
children, etc. And I, I, I thought I would be able to, to, to do this outside of my own network with with people that really need it because they don't have they don't have that network. So I um, yeah I joined Brightside as a mentor, and what they do is they have regular programs with universities. Um, where they connect students with professionals or young graduates. It doesn't have to be like an established, you don't have to be an established professional. And it's all happening online. So there's there's a lovely app that allows students to ask you questions. Obviously, you guide it through the whole experience. Each program lasts six weeks, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, so that you, you get some training, obviously, to become a good mentor. Uh, and, and you build this sort of uh, remote, anonymous relationship with a bunch of, of mentees. I, I usually have three at a time. Just answering the questions and and guiding them and uh, yeah, it's it's just really wonderful because you can really feel the difference that you make. The, the questions that they ask that without 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 bright side, they probably wouldn't get much answer to, and they, they might give up on something that they really want to do but don't know how to to go about it. Um, so I, I find it, you know, I, I find it. I would like to encourage listeners to to, to take part, to to sign up. It's bright, brightsight.org. There's another program that I'm starting in January again. Um, Great. Well, we'll include yeah. a link to them in the show notes as well, and of course, we'll include a link yeah. to Superscripts. But if people want to connect with you or find out more, where would you like to send them? LinkedIn is the best way. I'm most active on this this platform, so just just reach out, reach out to me. I'll gladly engage. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for making the time. It was great, great to spend this time together and hear more about the work you're doing. Thanks for having me, Eric. It was great chatting to you. Take care. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.